Welcome to Economics and Beyond. I'm Rob Johnson, president of the Institute for New Economic Thinking. Say you can kill my body. But you know you can't mess with my mind. So don't you can't kill my mind. You know we'll go away. We're gonna go away. Come back, come back, come back, come back. My second time. I'm here today with an extraordinary man. Urban Laszlo is both scientist and a master of spiritual thinking. And a person who is pushing us forward to integrate and understand the crisis before us can be an opportunity and that we need to change the way we think and act. He's written many, many books, I believe over a hundred books in his lifetime. But recently he's put together in 2020, Reconnecting the Source, to, oh, excuse me, Reconnecting to the Source, Global Shift Now, and recently a book called The Immutable Laws of the Akashic Field. I've seen him on videos with people like Deepak Chopra. I've heard people say that Thich Nhat Hanh had been very involved in nominating him for the Nobel Peace Prize in the uh, first part of the 20th century. He has a book coming out this fall, which I've already pre-ordered, called The, Wind the Wisdom Principles. And as you read The Immutable Laws of the Akashic Field, I think an understanding of why that book is a follow-on is very important. But Dr. Laszlo, uh, I first became acquainted with you through your book, Simply Genius, about your beginnings as a pianist. And as I mentioned to you in our conversation, my father was a physician and a jazz pianist. But I'm, I'm so inspired by the depth and the breadth of your holistic mind and vision. And I know that people are concerned now. And so thank you for joining me and joining our audience. And please share with us, how, how do you see this crisis starting, how do you say, that's evolved into the pandemic and beyond as an opportunity? And how would you describe the nature of that opportunity? Yes, it's, it's the key question of our time. I would like to start with saying what you're, you're mentioning, people are concerned. That I think is the key. If people are complacent or people are simply believe that the way we've had it, that's the way to go on, then change will be difficult, if not impossible. And then the crisis will multiply one on top of the other. We need to change and at this cause for people who understand this need, who are concerned about staying where we are, because where we are is not a good place to be. A Chinese saying is that if we continue the way we have been going, we get to exactly where, where we have been heading. And we should not head to where we have been heading because that will create more instability, more unsustainability, further crisis. You know very well in economics, but also in ecology and the demographics in, the, in, in our treatment of each other, violence, 
we could make a long, long list of, of global crisis points. But however, the main aspect is that I'd like to emphasize is that now we are becoming aware of that we need to change. And the question is not shall we change or not. The question is now how do we change? And I'm trying to point out that here we have options. We can uh, change for the better. We can create a better world. It's a very optimistic statement, I know. But we are in the midst of a global transformation, which in the system science is called a bifurcation, a change in the evolution, in the evolution trajectory of systems. In this case of the human system that we have created, this human, social, economic, ecological system on the planet. This system is now ripe for change. And if we have had a, a, a crisis like we have had, and we, to some extent we are still having a health crisis, a virus cause crisis, that seems on first sight to be a, 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 a sort of democracy. It's any time that it can wipe out large populations and we never know what's going to, how it's going to end. On a deeper look, when we look at the structure of the situation of the world in which we live, it turns out that this could be a blessing in disguise because it precisely moves us out of the, of the rut in we have been. So in it being a blessing in disguise, uh, is in essence, knowing that we're off course and the anxiety creates the opening to explore a new vision? Exactly. Exactly. But they also need to have a help in, in, in finding a way forward. And I maintain, again somewhat optimistically, but I think also with a good deal of realism, that there is in nature in the universe, something that is equivalent to our, to our electronic GPS, a guidance system. Without this guidance system, the universe would be just a heap of random, random atoms and molecules, and there would not be structure and coherence in this universe. Yet coherence, as Einstein said, is the single most amazing thing about this universe, that it is coherent that it is not purely a product of chance. You know, for a long time, it was a main dogma of science that the, the way the world is, is the result of a whole series of random interactions, that there is no higher, higher guidance. Scientists were afraid of teleology, of, of the idea that there is somehow a, a higher will, recalling right, the religion and, and the dogmas of religion, guiding us, telling us what to do. It turns out, I think, that there is a higher guidance and it's not outside. It doesn't come from above. It's inside and it's below. This guidance is in us. It's in every complex system in the world. Because that such systems could altogether exist is the result of something that's close to a miracle because it could not be chance interactions. It could be, it has to be something that biases the chance. There is what I call a tropism. I also like to call it an attractor. You know, in complex systems, if a maps complex systems, and you find something which is, which is, doesn't 
which is not purely random, it gives it a direction of its evolution. Then we call about an attractor. It's a, it's a point attractor, a periodic attractor, a strange attractor, whatever. You can map it in different ways, but it's not purely up to chance. That's the big message. And this not up to chance is something which is in us, which is a motivation, which is a natural force and a force of evolution. The young people say, go is the force in Star Wars and elsewhere. And I think we can go with the force that is not above us and beyond us, that is in us. That is in every quantum in, of, our, of our brain, every molecule of, of, our, of our organs and of our system. Because we are a, a product of an evolutionary process that turns out to be a process that's maximizing coherence and complexity in the world creating complex integral integrated systems such as you and i we human beings are complex coherent integral systems we don't we are not the product of just one happenstance or one thing happening after another we are a product of a motivation of a prompt of an attractor i like to say which is basic to the universe it is there in the system of quanta in, in our in our cells, it is there in our environment. The Earth itself is an example of a complex integral system. We have forgotten that this is how evolution works. Evolution moves in this direction. We have denied that it does. We thought that only this, this, uh, the strongest survives. There is no guidance here. Yet there is. And if there wouldn't be guidance, it would indeed be in the best shape. But we wouldn't be here altogether to discuss it because we are coherent complex systems ourselves, a remarkable miracles of, of, the, of, the, of evolution on this earth. All of life is that, practically. So I say, I, my optimism, I call it not so much an, a plain optimism as possibilism. I say it's possible, you know, to move in a better direction. I think it stems from the fact that we ourselves exemplify a direction in evolution a direction of development which we can use to conduct ourselves. This is our GPS. This is what tells us, are we moving the right way or are we off course? We have been off course now for 100 years, 200 years perhaps. Certainly as long as, as, long as we have been going by the old Newtonian paradigm, which is not a paradigm for Newton personally, he was a mystic and a great thinker, but Newton's followers who made his mechanistic laws into the paradigm of, of, the, of our working of the universe and of our being. So if we go past this Newtonian paradigm, the Newtonian Darwinian paradigm, and go understand the new biology, the new quantum biology, the new cosmology, the new psychology and consciousness research, all telling you that is connection, that is direction, that is a meaning unfolding in the universe. This comes from physicists as well, comes from David Bohm among many others, but from Robert Jung and, and, and we could make a long, long list. There, this is our hope, this is our possibility that we ourselves manifest and, and embed in our being 
a higher directionality, a movement toward a direction which is toward well-being, toward thriving, because it's toward the integration of diverse elements into wholes. Health in the human body means such integration. We couldn't survive, we couldn't exist unless all cells, all organs in our body were moving together, working together to maintain us as a complex and coherent system. So let's not forget that. This is where we are. We could join with that. We could get on that bandwagon, as it were, moving naturally, moving with nature, nature who doesn't create fragments and parts, but creates integral wholes. The new holism is a holism of nature, the holism of the new cosmology, the holism of quantum mechanics. Not mechanics, it's a misnamer, but a, a, a quantum system view of the world. That is, I think, a hope. One of the uh, senses that I had uh, in reading your work in preparation for this conversation, sir, was that uh, there is something uh, both wrong with expertise if it misspecifies the model, and your integration of spirit, holistic nature, and science is, is a very important assertion. But what I guess haunts me a little bit is the notion of demagoguery and the notion that when people are anxious they lurch backward to the familiar more easily than forward and demagogues in an uncertain time can also get a great deal of what I'll call traction or influence and so to overcome the resistances and see things as you describe does seem to me to be a necessary condition but I think there may be there may be obstacles, and one that comes to mind is the notion that in intrahuman relations called otherness, saying, in essence, we're not working for the well-being of mankind. We're working for our own tribe so that we survive and let those people perish. And I know Pope Francis' most recent uh, uh, Fratelli Tutti uh, is about cohesion and citizens, and, excuse me, and humans across the planet, not seeing each other as, seeing each other as friends and allies. How do we overcome some of these psychological resistances, fears, and the uh, potential for demagoguery, and the temptation of a scientist to reassure people when they're, un, when they're scared, even if they create a false sense of certainty? You know, there's a saying in the Old Testament, I believe in, let's look it up exactly where it is, in, uh, which says, where there is no vision, the people perish. What we need is vision, not arbitrary fiction, but a vision based on solid facts. We can get that vision, and one way is to get it, is to look at the results, the implications, the developments in the new sciences, which are system sciences, which are quantum sciences. And they are, they are, these are sciences that tell us that what is being evolved on this, in this universe, I might say altogether, are whole systems, not just fractionable parts. Now, of course, what you say is, what you mention is a true danger 
when the old one is threatened, or the established system is threatened, people try to grab something that is more sure and sometimes they go back. Here I think if you have to point a very clear finger at the past, the world that we have created in the past 100, 150 or 200 years is not a world we want to get back to. It's, it's a world which is unsustainable, inequitable, which is precisely all the time just favoring the powerful on the, on the, on the misread Darwinian principle that the fittest survives. Darwin himself then later on said in his life, it's not the fittest, but the most cooperative that survives. But the general sense is that, you know, let's get something where, where we can, where we can take control ourselves, controlling to assure our own short-term immediate interest. And that's why demagogy, that's why the dictators rising now in the world. That's why they have this far-right movement coming about here and there, because people are desperate. They want to look at, look at something, look for something that they can hold on to. A strong man. Strong man is now not the answer. An enlightenment, yes. A leader, yes, we could use. But it has to be an enlightened one. One who looks at the whole system and not only at that part where he is immediately acting, where he is in, in charge. We need a whole new politics, a whole new culture, basically a whole new sense of who we are. And I think that this you can get from partly from science, partly from the spiritual experience. In my book on, on the reconnecting to the source, I've asked, or I think, 19 and 20 people, well-known eminent individuals to recount their spiritual experiences. Have they had such crucial experiences? These people said they did, although they have ordinarily were not talking about it. And when I asked them to unpack this, to actually tell us what they were, they came to remarkable similarities, remarkable conclusions. The end of a, of a spiritual experience, if it's deep and genuine and allowed to unfold, is a deeper understanding, is a closer relationship, a closer sense of, of belonging together. The old spiritual sayings of oneness and unconditional love. These are all sayings that young people often use. The kind of thing that is a saying that the Beatles would use. But it turns out that people who are serious scientists, honest and creative people, when they have these deep experiences, they come away with a sense of they are not strangers. You mentioned otherness. My view is that when we are developed, when we are evolved, then we have a somewhat wiser mental constitution. Then we realize that there are no others in the world. There are no others. We are, not I and them. We are in the world. Because the whole world makes a single system, a very coherent, self-evolving and interacting system that to be a part of that is, a, is to be part of a great team, is a part of a great enterprise. And it has a tremendous attraction, knowing that we are on beat, we are, we are, we are harmonizing 
synthesizing our steps with the beat of the universe. If we could understand that, then we would not grab back to the old methods of just me and I and mine. Everything is short-term, narrowly focused thinking. Then we would go and look what has been, in the past has been metaphysics, but now it's becoming science, quantum science, which is, has been called holism, the holistic principles. Holistic principles are so simple. I try to summarize it by saying, what is good for the whole is always and necessarily good for the part, if not sooner than later. But what is good for the part in the short term is not necessarily good for the whole. It might sub-optimize the whole. It might just promote one part of the whole at the expense of the others. You know, what is, for example, it, it's a nasty example, but uh, it, it, it hates home. What is cancer, if not sub-optimization? A cancer, a group of cancer cells optimizes itself. It grows, it creates tumors, but independently of its environment. And as a matter of fact, then it's at the expense of its environment, which is the rest of the organism. So to be an old-fashioned politics, old-fashioned way of managing our businesses is to be a kind of a cancer in the body of the human system. We have got to become a positive element in that, which means that we recognize that we are part of that system and our interests lie in making the system live, survive, indeed thrive. That is, I think, is the new politics. Sounds idealistic, but it has become a survival imperative of the human species. I'm convinced of that. Well, we have so many uh, politically powerful institutions organized around a previous, which you might call false consciousness. And we have the economics profession, as you, uh, I believe, alluded to, focused on Newtonian physics as a model. Uh, it, I don't, I don't want to say this, but the question came to my mind. We could design a curriculum for young people in the next generation and should do that anyway. But are we not, particularly in the realm of climate, on a time schedule that requires a transformation of existing adults, not just an evolution that waits for the young people's uh, wisdom to blossom? We have very little time. But there are two things to keep in mind here. One is that our new electronic technologies, information, communication technologies, are creating a system that can carry information, messages, instantly to almost any part of the globe, almost every person of, of the human family. And the other one is that we have an information system built in built into the whole system because this is a quantum system where one thing interacts with all other things. You can't do just one thing. Gareth Hardy said that some time ago but referring to ecology to, to our environmental access. You can't do just one thing because all the host of other things follow. But in a quantum system there is no way you can do one thing because every, everything that you do is connected with all the other things. 
I think this is a phenomenon that we talked about this book that I've done. I want to emphasize in that book. I want to emphasize this phenomenon in the Akashic field that things are connected and things are moving in a in a concerted direction. Then it's natural. Then it's healthy. Then the system works. So all the dangers are there of of Darwinian Newtonian short-term, fractionated, reductionist thinking. It's all there. And we have got to move out of that. And a shock like a global crisis, it shows that we are all in the same boat, that we have got to change and change together, is a, a beneficial crisis in that sense. It shortens the time in which we change. We can't wait a whole generation to begin to change. In the past, yes, new cultures took several generations to emerge and, and, to, and to become dominant. We don't have now the time. So we need a shock treatment. We have been getting it, we are getting it. And people, as I've come back to what you said in the beginning, people are becoming concerned. That concern should be put to good use. That's a natural good thing. Ask what you can do. Ask how I can be part of what that needs to be done. These are the key questions you should pose and try to answer honestly in view of what we are ready to do and what we are willing to do and what obviously what we can do. When I imagine you in reading your work, it makes me curious, and I'm speaking not only for myself, but we have over 15,000 members of our Young Scholars Initiative. Many feel the pressure to belong. But this, this enlightened vision, this integration between spirit and science, these things, can you give us a window into some of the experience you've had in your life that catalyzed or illuminated this new direction? Now, I'm having these experiences all the time. They are not really sort of the fancy kind of mystical experiences that I see, spirits and whatnot. But I had the experience first took the form of musical performance on the piano, because things that I played seemed to me the great music, seemed to me so natural, so self-evident, that all I had to do was follow it, follow it. I never had any question of, of interpreting this way. That's the music plays with, plays itself and shows the way. And one enters into this dynamic field where everything is meaningful. It's all expressed in sound, in tones, in melody, in rhythm. But it, it, it's, it, it unfolds itself. It can't be any other way. This is particularly true of the greatest music like Mozart and Schubert and even, even the modern music like Bartók, for example, where things are proceed in a logical way, which has its own inner logic. So that was one experience of being guided, as it were. But since this experience was one of coherence, one of meaning, I was looking for it also in science. What, what sub, sub supports that background can be found what indices can be defined for the idea that we are guided toward a more coherent, more integral vision of ourselves and base of behavior. 
And of course, we find it now in the new biology. We find it in, in the quantum biology and in, in the new cosmology, in the new physics. And I think it's sooner or later it has to come into the new psychology, which is beginning to come, transpersonal psychology, for example. And in the, hopefully also in your field, in the new economics. I have in touch with some with people who are trying to bring in this new economics and bring it on to a higher level, into a practical form. This is the way we need to go. Find that there's a natural way, a GPS in us. Now, let me just mention that my own experience, the continued experience. When I work on an idea, uh, like you pose these questions, and then I ask myself, you know, what what does it what meaning do they have? What is it that we can learn, and how we can explicate this? How we can follow it up? Very often, when I speak and when I write, answers seem to come. Not very fanciful answers, but sort of answers that tell me which way is better to go. How should I inquire? Is there a reason to despair? Is there hope? Which way should I ask? Which way should I, should I orient? A real GPS, but it's spontaneous. And often, if, uh, if everything seems to work fine, I can sit down and start writing and things come out that I didn't know that I wanted to express, that I didn't have in mind before. They, they follow each other, just like the music of Mozart. One theme follows another, and there couldn't be any other way. Here also, it couldn't be any other way. So this is an experience I have been having, I'm having. Often I learned not to pre-program any talks I'm giving. Just set up the, the, the problem, the task, and then try to allow these ideas to come forth, to frame themselves. Often, often, not always, but often happens that I'm saying things and coming across, coming out with things that I didn't think of before. And so I'm, I'm learning from my experience. I learned to not to control it, allow it to blossom, allow it to come. I've had this experience since I was five years old in music, and I continue having it now. And I'm, I'm nearing, nearing 90. And I think this is partly our hope, how the all the direction is in us. We are not alone and we are not mechanical puppets. We are not just robots. We are a self-directing, intensely alive entity who is coherent within itself. As long as we, can, we are healthy, we are coherent. And we can be coherent with others around it. Then we can build a new economics, a new social science, a new political science as well because that is the task that is now facing us, recreating something better, not back, but forward. That's what we can learn, I think, from a bifurcation. It allows the novelty, it allows the new to emerge. Like Whitehead was talking about creative novelty in the world, I think there is such a novelty possible. And the time when it can shine forth is when the old is crumbling, when it's questioned. I'm a latest writing, I always ask everybody, my readers, to question. Ask a question your beliefs, question your aspirations. Yes, if you find that they are reasonable, they are good, fine, go ahead, help you, obviously. 
but not automatically, just because you are being told, or just because other people are doing it like that. So that's the beginning of this job, is to know that we don't know, but we want to find out. Well, sir, uh, you, your inspiration through music is certainly something that affects my life and sense of purpose. I remember as a young man, when I'm looking forward to our discussion of the immutable laws of the Akashic field and the uh, Indian spirituality, I remember following George Harrison very closely. And he wrote a song that I found terrifying called I, Me, Mine. The last verse is, all I can hear is I, me, mine, I, me, mine, even those tears, I, me, mine. No one's frightened of playing it, everyone's saying it, flowing more freely than wine all through your life, I, me, mine. And he was in, in despair about that focus on me and not we that you alluded to. But there are, there are other influences in my life. I had minored in music in college. I mentioned at the outset my father's piano. My mother was a singer with the Detroit Symphony at times in her life. But I was always moved very much by John Coltrane. And I recently met a physicist, a gentleman whose name is Alex it's, uh, Stefan Alexander. He's a black man, a physicist, a saxophone player, and he wrote a book, The Jazz of Physics, The Secret Link Between Music and the Structure of the Universe. And I had a chance to be on a panel with him earlier this year. But when I listen to Coltrane, I feel like I hear you. I feel him reaching to that broader place, that place which he referred to as the love supreme. And so, as we conclude the first part, I want to thank you for exploring with us, and I look very much forward to the second part of our conversation that relates to your book about the immutable laws of the Akashic field. The depth and the breadth of your thinking leaves me in awe, but it's also an example of the holistic vision that you are trying to inspire us to join. So th thank you for this first part, and I look forward to continuing. I want to thank you because being inspired by the right ideas is actually being inspired yourself. So it's a wonderful thing to encounter people like you and who also have access to a broader public. Let's get these ideas out where people have an aha experience. And they say, yes, I knew this, and I, I intuited this, but now I can recognize it. That, I think, is what I want to teach. Not something new, but something that people can recognize. Plato said that two and a half thousand years ago, and I think he was right. We have to not cognize, not just cognize, but recognize of who we are, and going back to what our true self. You are doing that, and thank you for this conversation. Thank you, and I also want to encourage people in September to be ready for the book, The Wisdom Principles, because I think there's some timelessness in looking forward and looking back in, how would I say, I would imagine you see the elements 
of what you're seeing and wanting us to see, there are probably, how do I say, clues and signals in those wisdom principles. And that should be a very exciting. There are little nuggets on which people can yes. pick up, develop Excellent. in their own way. Good. We'll talk again soon. Okay, and, thank and you again. Thank you for today. This is a lovely, lovely conversation and my young scholars and many more will be delighted and we're happy to be at your service. Thank you. I look forward to our con ongoing contact. And check out more from the Institute for New Economic Thinking at ineteconomics.org. And I'll tell it and speak it and think it and breathe it. And reflect from the mountains so all souls can see it. And I'll stand on the ocean until I start sinking. But I'll know my song well before I start singing.